Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Saga of the Balsungs is by far and away my favourite tale. It has mythology, magic, fantastic creatures, heroes, good deeds and bad, love, hate, vengeance, cruelty and loss. If it sounds epic, that's because it really is. This saga has influenced the likes of Tolkien, Wagner and many more. When I was thinking about the schedule for December, I knew I wanted to take you on a journey and do something a little bit special. When I was young, I was introduced to the myths and sagas with a book that remains on my bookshelf to this day and is a sentimental favourite of mine. So it felt right to share the saga of the Volsungs with you in the way that I was first introduced to it and hopefully you will enjoy it as much as I did or as much as I continue to love it after all these years. I could reveal more, but I recommend you sit back, relax and become one with the tale as it unfolds. From the Children of Odin by Patrick Collum this is the Saga of the Volsungs. Far away and long ago. Once there was another sun and another moon. A different sun and a different moon from the ones that we see now. Sol was the name of that sun. Mani was the name of the moon. But always behind Sol and Mani wolves went. A wolf behind each. The wolves caught in them at last and they devoured Sol and Mani. And then the world was in darkness and cold. In those times the gods lived, Odin and Thor, Hodor and Baldur, Tyr and Heimdall, Vidar and Vali, as well as Loki, the doer of good and the doer of evil. And the beautiful goddesses were living then, Frigga, Freya, Nana, Iduna and Sif. But in the days when the sun and moon were destroyed the gods were destroyed too. All the gods except Baldur, who had died before that time. Vidar and Vali, the sons of Odin, and Modi and Magni, the sons of Thor. At that time too, there were men and women in the world. But before the sun and the moon were devoured, and before the gods were destroyed, terrible things happened in the world. Snow fell on the four corners of the earth and kept on falling for three seasons. Winds came and blew everything away, and the people of the world who had lived on in spite of the snow and the cold and the winds fought each other, brother killing brother, until all the people were destroyed. Also, there was another earth at that time, an earth green and beautiful. But the terrible winds that blew levelled the forests and hills and dwellings. Then fire came and burnt the earth, There was darkness, for the sun and the moon were devoured. The gods had met with their doom, and in the time in which all these things happened was called Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods. Then a new sun and a new moon appeared and went travelling through the heavens. They were more lovely than Sol and Mani, and no wolves followed behind them in chase. The earth became green and beautiful again, and in a deep forest, The fire had not burnt, a woman and a man wakened up. They had been hidden there by Odin and left to sleep during Ragnarok. Leif was her name, and Leifrasir was the man's. 
They moved through the world and their children and their children's children made people for the new earth. And of the gods were left Vidar and Vali, the sons of Odin, and Mudi and Magni, the sons of Thor. On the new earth, Vidar and Vali found tablets that the older gods had written on and left there for them. Tablets telling of all that had happened before Ragnarok. And the people who lived after Ragnarok, Twilight of the Gods, were not troubled as the people in the older days were troubled by the terrible beings who had brought destruction upon the world and upon men and women, and who from the beginning had waged war upon the gods. Sigurd's Youth In Midgard, in the northern kingdom, a king reigned whose name was Alv. He was wise and good, and he had in his house a foster son whose name was Sigurd. Sigurd was fearless and strong. So fearless and so strong was he that he once captured a bear of the forest and drove him to the king's hall. His mother's name was Hjordis. Once before Sigurd was born, Alv and his father, who was king before him, went on an expedition across the sea and came into another country. While they were yet far off, they heard the din of a great battle. They came to the battlefield, but they found no living warriors on it, only heaps of slain. One warrior they marked. He was white-bearded and old, yet he seemed to be the noblest-looking man Alv or his father had ever looked on. His arms showed that he was a king amongst one of the bands of warriors. They went through the forest searching for survivors of the battle, and... Hidden in the dell of a forest, they came upon two women. One was tall, with blue, unflinching eyes and ruddy hair, but wearing the garb of serving maid. The other wore the rich dress of a queen, but she was low stature, and her manner was covert and shrinking. When Alv and his father drew near, the one who had on her the raiment of a queen said, Help us, lords, and protect us, and we will show you where treasure is hidden. A great battle has been fought between the men of King Ligny and the men of King Sigmund, and the men of King Ligny have won the victory and have gone far from the field. But King Sigmund is slain, and we are of his household, and hid his treasure, and we can show it to you. The noble warrior, white-haired and white-bearded who lies yonder, is he King Sigmund? The woman answered, Yes, Lord, and I am his queen. We have heard of King Sigmund, said Alf's father. His fame and the fame of his race, the Volsungs, is over the wide world. Alf said no word to either of the women, but his eyes stayed on the one who had on the garb of the serving maid. She was on her knees, wrapping in a beast's skin two pieces of a broken sword. You surely will protect us, good lords, said the one who had on the queenly dress. Yea, wife of King Sigmund. We will protect you and your serving maid, said Alf's father, the old king. Then the women took the warriors to a wild place on the seashore, and they showed them where King Sigmund's treasure was hidden amongst the rocks, cups of gold and mighty arm rings and jeweled collars. Prince Alf and his father put the treasure on the ship and brought the two women aboard. Then they sailed from the land. That was before Sigurd the foster son of King Alf, was born. Now the mother of Alf was wise, and little of what she saw escaped her noting. She saw that of the two women that her son and husband had brought back to their kingdom, 
the one who wore the dress of the serving maid had unflinching eyes and a high beauty, while the one who wore the queenly dress was shrinking and unstately. One night, when all the women of the household were sitting round her, spinning wool by the light of torches in the hall, the Queen Mother said to the one who wore the queenly garb, You are good at rising in the morning. How do you know in the dark hours when it wears to dawn? The one clad in the queenly garb said, When I was young, I used to rise to milk the cows, and I awaken ever since at the same hour. Queen Mother said to herself, It is a strange country in which the royal maids rise to milk cows. Then she said to the one who wore the clothes of the serving maid, How do you know in the dark hours when the dawn is coming? My father, she said, give me a ring of gold that I wear, and always before it is time to rise, I feel it grow cold on my finger. It is a strange country, truly, said the Queen Mother to herself, in which the serving maids wear rings of gold. When all the others had left, she spoke to the two women who had been brought into her country. To the one who wore the clothes of a serving maid, she said, You are the queen. Then the one who wore the queenly clothes said, You are right, lady. She is a queen, and I can no longer pretend to be any other than I am. Then the other woman spoke. She said, I am the queen, as you have said, the queen of King Sigmund, who was slain. Because a king sought for me, I changed clothes with my serving maid, my wish being to baffle those who might be sent to carry me away. Know that I am Yordas, a king's daughter. Many men came to my father to ask for me in marriage, and of those that came, there were two whom I had heard much of. One was King Ligny, and the other was King Sigmund, of the race of the Volsungs. The king, my father, told me it was for me to choose between the two. King Sigmund was old, but he was the most famous warrior in the whole world, and I chose him rather than King Ligny. We were wed, but King Ligny did not lose desire of me, and in a while he came against King Sigmund's kingdom with an army of men. We hid our treasure by the sea, and I and my maid watched the battle from the borders of the forest. With the help of Gram, his wondrous sword, and his own great warrior strength, Sigmund was able to carry the great force that came against him. Suddenly he was stricken down, and the battle was lost. Only King Ligny's men survived it, and they scattered to search for me and the treasure of the king. I came to where my lord lay in the field of battle. He had raised himself on his shield when I came, and he told me that death was very near him. A stranger had entered the battle at the time when it seemed that the men of King Ligny must draw away. With the spear that he had held in his hand, he struck at Sigmund's sword, and Gram, the wondrous sword, was broken into pieces. Then did King Sigmund get his death wound. It must be that I shall die, he said, for the spear against which my sword broke was Gungnir, Odin's spear. Only that spear could have shattered the sword that Odin gave my father's. Now I must go to Valhalla, Odin's hall of heroes. I weep, I said, because I have no son who might call himself of the great race of Volsungs. For that you need not weep, said Sigmund. A son will be born to you, my son and yours, and you shall name him Sigurd. Take now the broken pieces of my wondrous sword and give them to my son when he will be of warrior age. Then 
did Sigmund turn his face to the ground, and the death struggle came on him. Odin's Valkyrie took his spirit from the battlefield, and I lifted up the broken pieces of the sword, and with my serving maid I went and hid in the deep dell of the forest. Then your husband and your son found us, and brought us to your kingdom, where we have been kindly treated, O Queen. Such was the history that Hjordis, the wife of King Sigmund, told to the mother of Prince Alf. Soon afterwards, the child was born to her that was Sigmund's son. Sigurd, she named him. And after Sigurd was born, the old king died, and Prince Alf became king in his stead. He married Hjordis, she of the ruddy hair, the unflinching ways and the high beauty, and he brought up her son Sigurd in his house as his foster son. Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, before he came to warrior's age, was known for his strength and his swiftness and for the fearlessness that shone around him like a glow. Mighty was the race he sprang from, the Volsung race, men said, but Sigurd will be as mighty as any that have gone before him. He built himself a hut in the forest that he might hunt wild beasts and live near to the one who was to train him in many crafts. This one was Regan, a maker of swords and a cunning man besides. It was said of Regan that he was an enchanter and that he had been in the world for longer than the generations of men. No one remembered, nor no one's father remembered, when Regan had come to that country. He taught Sigurd the art of working metals and he taught him too the lore of other days. But ever as he taught him, he looked at Sigurd strangely, not as a man who looks at his fellow, but as a lynx that looks at a stronger beast. One day, Regan said to young Sigurd, King Alv has your father's treasure, men say, and yet he treats you as if you were thrall-born. Now, Sigurd knew that Regan said this, that he might anger him, and thereafter use him to his own ends. He said, King Alv is a wise and good king, and he would let me have riches if I had need of them. You go about as a footboy, not as a king's son, said Regan. Any day that I like, I'll have a horse to ride, Sigurd said. So you say, said Regan, and he turned from Sigurd and went to blow the fire of his smithy. Sigurd was made angry, and he threw down the irons on which he was working and ran across to the horse pastures by the great river. A herd of horses were there, grey and black, and rowan and chestnut, the best of the horses that King Alf possessed. As he came near to where the herd grazed, he saw a stranger near, an ancient but robust man, wearing a strange cloak of blue and leaning on a staff to watch the horses. Sigurd, though young, had seen kings in their halls, but this man had a bearing that was more lofty than any kings he had ever looked upon. You are going to choose a horse for yourself, said the stranger to Sigurd. Yea, father, Sigurd said. Drive the herd first into the river, the stranger said. Sigurd drove the horses into the wide river. Some were swept down by the current, others struggled back and clambered up the banks of the pastures. But one swam across the river, throwing up his head at neighed for victory. Sigurd marked him, a grey horse, young and proud, with a great flowing mane. He went through the water and caught the horse, mounted him and brought him back across the river. You've done well, said the stranger. Granny, 
who you have there is of the breed of Slepnir, the horse of Odin. And I am of the race of Oz, sons of Odin, cried Sigurd, his eyes wide and shining with the light of the very sun. I am of the race of the sons of Odin, for my father was Sigmund, and his father was Volsung, and his father was Rerir, and his father was Sigi, who was the son of Odin. The stranger, leaning on his staff, looked at the youth steadily. Only one of his eyes was to be seen, but that eye, Sigurd thought, might see through a stone. All you have named, said the stranger, were swords of Odin to send men to Valhalla, Odin's Hall of Heroes. And, of all that you have named, there were none but were chosen by Odin's Valkyries for battles in Asgard. To this, Sigurd cried, too much of what is brave and noble in the world is taken by Odin for his battles in Asgard. The stranger leaned on his staff. His head was bowed. What boots you? he said, and it did not seem to Sigurd that he spoke to him. What woods you? The leaves wither and fall of Yggdrasil, and the day of Ragnarok comes. Then he raised his head and spoke to Sigurd. The time is near, he said, when you may possess yourself of the pieces of your father's sword. Then the man in the strange cloak of blue went climbing up the hill, and Sigurd watched him pass away from his sight. He had held back on Granny, his proud horse, but now he turned to him and let him gallop along the river in a race that was as swift as the wind. The sword of Gram and the dragon Fafnir. Mounted upon Granny, his proud horse, Sigurd rode to the hall and showed himself to Alv, the king, and to Hordis, his mother. Before the hall, he shouted out the Volsung name, and King Alv felt as he watched him that this youth was a match for a score of men. And Hjordis, his mother, saw the blue flame of his eyes and thought to herself that his way through the world would be as the way of the eagle through the air. Having shown himself before the hall, Sigurd dismounted from Granny and stroked and caressed him with his hands and told him that he now might go back and take pasture with the herd. The proud horse breathed fondly over Sigurd and bounded away. Then Sigurd strode on, until he came to the hut in the forest where he worked with the cunning smith Regan. No one was in the hut when he entered, but over the anvil, in the smoke of the smithy fire, there was a work of Regan's hands. Sigurd looked upon it, and a hatred for the thing that was shown rose up in him. The work of Regan's hands was a shield, a great shield of iron. Hammered out on that shield, and coloured with red and brown colours, was the image of a dragon a dragon lengthening himself out of the cave. Sigurd thought it was the image of the most hateful thing in the world, and the light of the smithy fire falling on it, and the smoke of the smithy fire rising about it, made it seem verily a dragon living in his own element of fire and reek. While he was still gazing on the loathly image, Regan, the cunning smith, came into the smithy. He stood by the wall and he watched Sigurd. His back was bent, his hair fell over his eyes that were all fiery, and he looked like a beast that runs behind the hedges. Aye, you look upon Fafnir the dragon, son of the Volsungs, he said to Sigurd. Mayhap it is you who will slay him. I would not strive with such a beast, 
He is all horrible to me, said Sickert. With a good sword you might slay him, and win for yourself more renown than your father's ever had, Regan whispered. I shall win renown as my father's won renown, in battle with men and in conquest of kingdoms, said Sickert. You're not a true balsam, or you would gladly go to where the most stranger and dread is, said Regan. You have heard Fafnir the dragon, whose image I have wrought here. If you ride to the crest of the hills, you might look upon a land, desolate land, where Fafnir has his haunt. Know that it was once fair, where men dwelt and there was prosperity and peace. But Fafnir came and made his den in a cave nearby. And his breathings as he went and came from the river weathered up the land and made it barren waste that men now call Nita Heath. If you are a true Falsang, you will slay the dragon, and the land will become fair again, and bring people back to it, and so add to King Alv's domain. I have not to do with the slaying of dragons, Sigurd said. I have to make war on King Ligny, and avenge him upon the slaying of Sigmund, my father. What does the slaying of Ligny and the conquest of his kingdom to the slaying of Fafnir the dragon? Regan cried. I will tell you what no one else knows of Fafnir the dragon. He guards a hoard of gold and jewels, the like of which has never been seen in the world. All this hoard you can make yours by slaying him. I did not covet riches, Sigurd said. No riches is the like to the riches that Fafnir guards. His hoard is the hoard that the dwarf Andvari had from the world's early days. Once the gods themselves paid it over as a ransom. And if you win this hoard, you will be as one of the gods. How do you know of what you speak, Regan? Sigurd said. I know. And one day I might tell you how I know. And one day I might listen to you. But speak to me no more of this dragon. I would have you make a sword. A sword that will be mightier and better shaped than any sword in the world. You can do this, Regan, for you are accounted as the best swordsmith amongst men. Regan looked at Sigurd out of his small and cunning eyes, and he thought it best to make himself active. So he took the weightiest pieces of iron and put them into the furnace, and he brought out the secret tools that he used when a masterwork was claimed from his hands. All day Sigurd worked beside him, keeping the fire at its best glow and bringing water to cool the blade as it was fashioned and refashioned. And as he worked, he thought only about the blade and about how he could make war upon King Ligny and avenge the man who was slain before he himself was born. All day he thought only of war and of the beaten blade. But at night his dreams were not upon wars or shapen blades, but upon Fafnir the dragon. He saw the heath that was left barren by his breath, and he saw the cave where he had his den. And he saw him crawling down from the cave, his scales glittering like rings of mail, and his length the length of a company of men on the march. The next day he worked with Regan to shape the great sword. When it was shaping with all the cunning Regan knew, it looked like a mighty sword indeed. Then Regan sharpened it, and Sigurd polished it, and at last he held the great sword by its iron hilt. Then Sigurd took the shield that had the image of Fafnir the dragon upon it, and he put the shield over the anvil of the smithy. Raising the great sword in both his hands, 
he struck full on the iron shield. The stroke of the sword sheared away some of the shield, but the blade broke in Sigurd's hands. Then in anger he turned on Regan, crying out, You have made a knave's sword for me. Work again. You need to make a Volsung sword. Then he went out and called to Granny, his horse, and mounted him and rode to the river bank like the sweep of the wind. Regan took more pieces of iron and began to forge a new sword, uttering as he worked runes that were about the horde that Vafnir the dragon guarded. And Sigurd that night dreamt of glittering treasure that he coveted not, masses of gold and heaps of glittering jewels. He was Regan's help the next day, and they both worked to make a sword that would be mightier than the first. For three days they worked upon it, and then Regan put into Sigurd's hands a sword, sharpened and polished, that was mightier and more splendid looking than the one that had been forged before. And again, Sigurd took the shield that had the image of the dragon upon it, and he put it on the anvil. Then he raised his arms and struck his full blow. The sword cut through the shield, but when it struck the anvil, it shivered in his hands. He left the smithy angrily and called to Granny his proud horse. He mounted and rode on like the sweep of the wind. Later he came to his mother's bower and stood before Hjordis. A greater sword must I have, said he, than the one that is made of metal dug from the earth. The time has come, mother, when you must put into my hands the broken pieces of Gram, the sword of Sigmund and the Volsungs. Hjordis measured him with the glance of her eyes, and she saw that her son was a mighty youth and one fit to use the sword of Sigmund and the Volsungs. She bade him to go with her to the king's hall. Out of the great stone chest that was in her chamber, she took the beast's skin and the broken blade that was wrapped in it. She gave the pieces into the hands of her son. Behold the halves of Gram, she said, of Gram, the mighty sword, that in far-off days Odin left in the Branstock, in the tree of the house of the Volsung. I would see Gram new-shapen in your hands, my son. Then she embraced him as she had never embraced him before, and standing there with her ruddy hair about her, she told him of the glory of Gram and of the deeds of his fathers in whose hands the sword had shone. Then Sigurd went to the smithy, and he wakened Regan out of his sleep, and he made him look upon the shining halves of Sigmund's sword. He commanded him to make out of it the halves a sword for his hand. Regan worked for days in his smithy, and Sigurd never left his side. At last the blade was forged, and when Sigurd held it in his hand, fire ran along the edge of it. Again he laid the shield that had the image of the dragon upon it on the anvil of the smithy. Again with his hands on the iron hilt he raised the sword for a full stroke. He struck, and the sword cut through the shield and sheared through the anvil, cutting away its iron horn. Then Sigurd knew that he had in his hands the Volsung's sword. He went without and called to Granny, and like the sweep of the wind rode down the river's bank. Shreds of wool were floating down the water. Sigurd struck at them with his sword, and the fine wool was divided against the water's edge. Hardness and fineness, Gram could cut through both. That night Gram, Volsung's sword, was under his head when he slept, but still his dreams were filled with images 
that he had not regarded in the daytime, the shine of a hoard that he coveted not, and the gleam of the scales of a dragon that was too lovely for him to battle with. The Dragon's Blood Sigurd went to war with the men that King Alf gave him. He marched into the country that was ruled over by the slayer of his father. The war he waged was short, and the battles he won were not perilous. Old was King Ligny now, and feeble was his grasp upon his people. Sigurd slew him and took away his treasure, and added his lands to the lands of King Alf. But Sigurd was not content with the victory he had gained. He had dreamt of stark battles and of renown that would hardly be won. What was the war he had waged to the wars that Sigmund his father and Volsung his father's father had waged in their days? Not content was Sigurd. He led his men back by the hills, from the crests of which he could look upon the dragon's haunts. And having come as far as those hills, he bade his men return to King Alf's hall with the spoils he had won. They went, and Sigurd stayed upon the hills and looked across Nita Heath to where Fafnir the dragon had his lair. All blasted and wasted was the heath with the fiery breath of the dragon. And he saw the cave where Fafnir abode, and he saw the track that his comings and goings made. For every day the dragon left his cave in the cliffs, crossing the heath to come to the river at which he drank. For the length of a day Sigurd watched from the hills the haunt of the dragon. In the evening he saw himself lengthening out of the cave and coming on his track across the heath and seeming like a ship that travels swiftly because of its many oars. Then to Regan in his smithy came. To that cunning man Sigurd said, Tell me all you know of Fafnir the dragon. Regan began to talk, but his speech was old and strange and filled with runes. When he had spoken at all, Sigurd said, all you have told me, you will have to say over again in a speech that is known to men of our day. Then Regan said, Of a horde I spoke. The dwarf and Vary guarded it from the first days of the world. But one of the Aesir forced and Vary to give the horde to him. Masses of gold and heaps of jewels. And the Aesir gave it to Hydmar, who was my father. For the slaying of his son, Otter, the Aesir gave the horde to Hydmar the greatest horde that had ever been seen in the world. But not long was it left to Hydramur to gloat over, for a son slew a father that he might possess that horde. Fafnir, that son was Fafnir, my brother. Then Fafnir, that no one might disturb his possession of the horde, turned himself into a dragon, a dragon so fearful that none dare come near him. And I... Regan was stricken with covetousness of the horde. I did not change myself into another being, but by the magic my father knew, I made my life longer than the generations of men, hoping that I would see Fafnir slain and then have the mighty horde under my hands. Now, son of the Volsungs, you know all there is to do with Fafnir the dragon and the great horde that he guards. Little do I care about the horde he guards, Sigurd said. I care only that he has made the king's good lands into waste, and that he is an evil thing to men. I would have the renown of slaying Fafnir the dragon. 
With Graham, the sword that you have, you could slay Fafnir, Regan cried, his body shaken with his passion for the horde. You could slay him with the sword you have. Here now, I will tell you how you might give him the death stroke through the coils of his mail. Here, for I've thought of it all. The track of the dragon to the river is broad, for he takes ever the one track. Dig a pit in the middle of that track, and when Fafnir comes over it, strike up into his coils of the mail with Gram, your great sword. Gram only will pierce that mail. Then will Fafnir be slain, and the horde will be left guardless. What you say is wise, Regan, Sigurd answered. We'll make this pit, and I will strike Fafnir in the way that you say. Then Sigurd went and he rode upon Granny, his proud horse, and he showed himself to King Alv and to Hordis's mother. Afterwards he went with Regan to the heath that was the haunt of the dragon, and in his track they dug a pit for the slaying of Fafnir. And, lest his horse should scream aloud about the coming of the dragon, Sigurd had Granny sent back to the cave in the hills. It was Regan that brought Granny away. I am fearful I can do nothing to help you, son of the Volsungs, he said. I will go away and await the slaying of Fafnir. He went, and Sigurd lay down in the pit that they had made good, practising thrusting the sword upwards. He lay with his face upward, and with his two hands he thrust the mighty sword. But as he lay there, he thought of a dread thing that might happen. Namely, the blood and the venom of the dragon might pour over him as he lay there and waste him to flesh and bone. Sigurd, Sigurd hastened out of the pit, and he dug other pits nearby, and he made a passage for himself from one pit to the other that he might escape from the flow of the dragon's envenomed blood. As he lay down again in the pit, he heard the treading of the dragon, and he heard the dragon's strange and mournful cry. Mightily the dragon came on, and he heard his breathing. His shape came over the pit. Then the dragon held his head and looked down on Sigurd. It was the instant for him to make the stroke with Graham. He did not let the moment pass. He struck mightily under the shoulder and toward the heart of the beast. The sword went through the hard and glittering scales. There were the creature's mail. Sigurd pulled the sword out and drew himself through the passage and out into a second pit, his Fafnir's and venom blood drenched where he had been. Drawing himself up out of the second pit, he saw the huge shape of Fafnir heaving and lashing. He came to him and thrust his sword right through the dragon's neck. The dragon reared up as though to fling himself down on Sigurd, with all his crushing bulk and red talons, with his fiery breath and his envenomed blood. But Sigurd leaped aside and ran far off. Then Fafnir did scream, his death scream. After he had torn up rocks with his talons, he lay prone on the ground, his head in the pit that was filled with his envenomed blood. Then did Regan, hearing the scream that let him know that Fafnir was slain, come down to where the battle had been fought. When he saw that Sigurd was alive and unharmed, he uttered a cry of fury, for his plan had been to have Sigurd drowned and burned in the pit with the stream of Fafnir's envenomed blood. But he mastered his fury and showed a pleased countenance to Sigurd. Now you will have renown, he cried. Forever will you be called Sigurd, Fafnir's bane. 
more renown than even any of your fathers will have had, O prince of the Volsungs. So he spoke, saying fair words to him, for now that he was left alive, there was something he would have Sigurd do. Fafnir is slain, Sigurd said, and the triumph over him was not lightly won. Now I will show myself to King Alv and to my mother, and the gold from Fafnir's hoard will make a great spoil. Wait, said Regan cunningly. Wait, there is something yet you can do for me. With the sword you have, cut through the dragon and take out his heart from me. When you've taken it out, roast it so that I might eat it and become wiser than I am. Do this for me, who showed you how to slay Fafnir. Sigurd did what Regan would have him do. He cut out the heart of the dragon and he hung it from stakes to roast. Regan drew away and left him. As Sigurd stood before the fire, putting the sticks upon it, there was a great silence in the forest. He put his hand down to turn an ashen branch into the heart of the fire. As he did, a drop from the roasting dragon heart fell upon his hand. The drop burnt into him. He put his hand to his mouth to ease the smart, and his tongue tasted the burning blood of the dragon. He went to gather wood for the fire. In a clearing that he came to, there were birds. He saw four on a branch together. The first bird said, How simple is he who has come into the dell? He has no thought of an enemy, and yet he who was with him but a while ago has gone away that he might bring a spear to slay him. For the sake of the gold that is in the dragon's cave, he would slay him, said the second bird. And the third bird said, If he would eat the dragon's heart himself, he would know all wisdom. But the fourth bird said, He has tasted the drop of the dragon's blood, and he knows what we are saying. The four birds did not fly away, nor cease from speaking. Instead, they began to tell of a marvellous abode that was known to them. Deep in the forest, the birds sang. There was a hall that was called the House of Flame. Its ten walls were Uni, Eri, Bari, Uri, Barnes, Vegdrasil, Deri, Uri, Dellinger, Atvarther, and each wall was built by the dwarf whose name it bore. All around the hall there was a circle of fire through which none might pass, and within the hall a maiden slept, and she was the wisest and the bravest and the most beautiful maiden in the world. Sigurd stood like a man enchanted, listening to what the birds sang. But suddenly they changed the flow of their discourse, and their notes became sharp and piercing. Look, look, cried one. He is coming against the youth. He is coming against the youth with the spear, cried another. Now will the youth be slain unless he is swift, cried a third. Sigurd turned and saw Regan treading the way towards him, grim and silent with a spear in his hands. The spear would have gone through Sigurd had he stayed one instant longer in the place where he had been listening to the speech of the birds. As he turned, he had his sword in his hand, and he flung it and Gram struck Regan on the breast. Then Regan cried out, I die. I die without having laid my hands on the hoard that Fafnir guarded. Ah, a curse upon the hoard. For Hreidmar and Fafnir, and now I have perished because of it. May the curse of the gold now fall on the one who was my slayer. 
Then did Regan breathe out his life. Sigurd took the body and cast it into the pit that was alongside the dead Fafnir. Then, that he might eat the dragon's heart and become the wisest of men, he went to where he had left it roasting. And he thought that when he had eaten the heart, he would go into the dragon's cave and carry away the treasure that was there, and bring it as a spoil of his battle to King Alv and to his mother. Then he would go through the forest and find the House of Flame, where slept the maiden who was the wisest and bravest and most beautiful in the world. But Sigurd did not eat the dragon's heart. When he came to where he had left it roasting, he found that the fire had burned it utterly. Thank you for listening to the first part of the saga of the full songs. Join me next time when we will hear the story of Sigmund and Signy, the story of Sigmund and Sinfiotli, and the story of the vengeance of the Volsungs and the death of Sinfiotli. I can absolutely guarantee that you won't be disappointed in where the story is going next. As ever, please feel free to get in touch. Um, on Gmail, you'll find me on mlegendlore at gmail.com or Twitter, it's at loremeth. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Siobhan Clark and this has been the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast.